Welcome to the Future of Processes podcast. I'm Ben Merton, CEO of Unifies, and each week I'll be talking to people in manufacturing about what it really takes to bring products to life. So this is about building an organizational culture, leadership, product design, supply chain, change management, how to attract the best talent, and in particular, how we can create better, more human processes for the factories of tomorrow. So I'm joined today by Robert Odiambo, who has a long background in Lean and Six Sigma and is now a black belt at Spectrum Chemical Manufacturing. Now, Spectrum is an FDA-registered manufacturer of chemicals and lab products for active pharmaceutical ingredients, controlled substances, dietary supplements, cosmetic and personal care products based in a 17-acre facility in New Brunswick, New Jersey, with production QC labs, warehousing and distribution. So obviously a lot of scope for process improvements. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today, Robert. How are you doing? I'm good, Ben. Thanks for having me. So, Robert, I noticed that you went to the University of Nairobi in Kenya and that you ended up then in Philadelphia, the Villanova University, doing a black belt certification. That's obviously a very interesting step. And I'd love to know what made this happen. Yeah, so it is true. I went to the University of Nairobi in Kenya and I loved chemistry. I did industrial chemistry. My first job out of college, you know, landed me in a chemical manufacturing uh, company, as you'd expect. And fast forward, I loved the job. I was a quality manager, but I was really big into ISO certification and stuff like that. But then in the process of executing as a quality manager, I happened to be very blessed to have a boss that was really big on CI and operation excellence. And he mentored me really good and told me, Robert, this is the path to go. Fast forward, I relocated to the United States. And back in 2009, the best of the world in Lean Six Sigma training uh, among the top were Villanova University. So that's how I ended up with Villanova. I noticed, you know, your background here is obviously very varied. You've worked Lean Six Sigma training, implementing Lean at USPS to uh, a large uh, diversified company like Ingersoll Rand to buildings, materials companies based in Dublin, I think, and uh, now a chemicals company. What are the common threads that you've seen in each of these in, t- in terms of the things that you've done to try to create change? So basically, there are several common threads that run through all my industrial experiences over the last decade or so. One of the most important things is creating flow. All right. So in each and every one of these engagements that I've had, that has been my priority and I've been really executed well. These environments, the first number one thing is to satisfy the customer. Everything else is second. The very first thing is to satisfy the customer. How are you going to make sure that there is a continuous flow towards giving that value? And how do you create flow? All right. So even though these industries have been diverse, that is a common thread. Every single one of these Fortune 500 companies that I work for are geared towards fulfilling customer requirements, customer service, and exceeding that. Why? Because of competition. There's very fierce competition out there. A lot of companies that cannot exceed the customer requirements or demands pretty much, you know, I mean, they're going to leave you. They're going to go to someone else that's, that's going to give them value. And one of the things that I've run through all these engagements that I've cherished is something called value stream mapping, right? When we, when you map a process, you get to understand not just the material flow, but there is also the information flow because you're going to try to create value to the customer, but you want to see what are the bottlenecks throughout your entire process. And then you can engage and arm your problem solvers. That is where I love CI. Can you be able to engage people? in a manner that they participate, they're able to see value first 
and also be able to actively engage in removing obstacles. That's interesting. And so I, one of the things I noticed is that you've been working a lot on different types of, I would say, continuous improvement tool sets. So TPM, Lean, and Six Sigma. I know it's, again, a loaded question, but which one of those do you think works best? So when you talk about Lean Six Sigma, you're basically talking about the ability to create value, removing waste, and you know remove defects. It's just defects and waste, pretty much, okay? So Lean helps you with the waste. Six Sigma helps you with the defects, by the way. But TPM actually is geared towards removing the what? The defects, right? You have defective material. That's, so that, so that, that's the context of me saying, yeah, TPM is one of the strongest philosophies out there. But again, I would say it's not for every company because it, it requires a lot of huge investment and it, you really have to be ready for that. It's not a quick fix. It's not a quick fix. There are companies that find value more than just by just doing subsets of TPM. But Lean Six Sigma in, in its purest sense, actually, is what, you know, we call it so many things nowadays, but it's still Lean Six Sigma. It, we call it operation excellence. We call it continuous improvement. Bottom line is you're trying to create value for the customer without interruptions, without rework, and every single person understands where we're going. For me, in my journey, the most important thing has been and remains the ability to change mindsets. You can come with all these tools, put on the wall and see what will stick and what will not. But ultimately, the goal is, are you able to change mindsets? Because if you change mindsets, then that drives behavior change. And behavior change comes back to mindsets. These tools, if you do not have behavior change and mindset change, be aligned with where you want to go, none of them will stick. You can have an army of consultants coming, nothing will stick. It's interesting. Do you feel like some of these decisions, though, are, are affected by the preconceived notions of the leadership in the company at any given point in time. So you can arrive and somebody's had a lot of exposure to say Lean or Six Sigma or TPM. And, and so as a result, they're fixated on one way of approaching the problem. And have you had any experience in trying to unpick that or to augment that in any way? Yeah. So one thing that I did uh, in my previous engagements that really helped me is the aspect of coaching efforts. When you're able to coach all the way to your SVP, senior vice president, you're able to change their minds in a way that it starts showing reality for them. So if you happen to get a leader that probably needs a little more of redirection or a little more of coaching or is in need of that, more than likely is the direction that he's going to take might not be the best way for someone, right? Because probably he has had a given experience in another field and he thinks, no, this is what's going to work. Well, that's where the aspect of coaching upwards come. Yeah, it's interesting that we still need to coach upwards. I mean, obviously, these tools have been around for a number of years. And I think every leader of any sort in industry probably recognizes that there's value to be delivered by these tools. But what I find very interesting is how few companies have actually adopted these tools. And so what I wanted to understand from you was, why do you think that Lean and Six Sigma has not been adopted by every company in the world to the fullest? Yeah, thank you. That's a very good question. All right. So back in 2013, I formed my consulting training and consulting, Lean Six Sigma training and consulting company out in Wichita, Kansas for the very purpose that you're talking about. So back then, and I think even still now, a lot of companies had been throwing all these tools on the wall, hoping this will stick, that will stick. And a lot of these companies were bringing in big, a lot of big names in consulting. They were trying all these tools and a lot of them were failing. Pretty much. After two years, bring in another slew of consultants. 
And we figured out back then, as I've known it over time, that the key to sustaining any engagements is being able to overcome resistance to change. Okay. So it's not just about, it's not just about the tools. Okay. That's what my company uh, that I formed, that I had, we used to do a lot of workshops for, especially aerospace companies, even in hospitals, they used to come to uh, our workshops in Wichita. And one of the things that was predominantly coming from attendees of these workshops was the difficulty in overcoming resistance to change. Why? There were, there were cultural issues, okay? Dating back several years back, how the company has been run in one way or another. And two, the ability to be open to change. A lot of them were now, in fact. And it became very clear a lot of our clients that came to the business for the Lean Six Sigma training. It was more of a lot of these leadership were facing pressure from investors and external forces to change all of the businesses out. So they wanted more of just a proof to say that, oh, okay, we had consultants, these money, we spent some dollars, but they were not authentic in their hearts. They were not really going for the real thing. And so to overcome that, the first thing that we always did in all these workshops is to be able to teach people overcoming resistance to change. Okay. I have done this for quite a while. One of the things that is very predominant when you come into a new engagement is the resistance comes from the mid-level. Okay. It's not the top. Most of the time, it's not the top. No, absolutely not. It's not the top. Most of the resistance is going to come from the mid-level management, right? The supervisor, the floor supervisor, the quality manager, someone right in the middle level. And a lot of it is because of lack of tools and techniques of overcoming resistance to change. This is my department, quality department. I don't want anything extra, that kind of thing, all right? So when you are trying to overcome resistance to change, I would advise anybody, the very first place you need to start with is the mid-level manager. Once you have them sold out completely, like 100% sold out, you got it. Because more than likely, the top will not be actually causing anything. And neither will be the bottom. But if you have the mid-level running the show and they're stuck against change, nothing will move. Absolutely not. Without good change management practices, which includes overcoming resistance to change, you just be wasting money. You, you bring all the best consultants out there in North America or whatever, but you're going to just waste your money. It's really interesting. Can you give me some examples um, of exactly how you address this uh, with mid-management specifically, the, the, the middle layer that you're talking about now? What are the things that you've done to win the hearts and minds of, of the mid-management of these companies on a, a, a very specific things that you might have used, any tools and tricks, tips and tricks that you might have uh, employed to get that to happen? So when you start bringing in mid-level management in a way that asks where they are, okay, you try to get where people are before you start talking because you don't know where they are. You're coming in with assumptions, no assumptions. You get where they are as far as KPIs, as far as overall value for the customer because people have different mindsets. And I'll tell you what, the moment you discover the exact true spot where they are, that's your best opportunity to start the coaching from right there. Can you give me an example of that? Like, what did you do with a particular person and how did you manage to establish this and the next steps that you followed after that? Yeah, so a supervisor, mid-level manager, was always resistant to MBI boards, which called the Managing for Daily Improvement. 
And this is really crucial in lean engagement. You want to know how things are happening at the tier one level before even you get to tier two. So for this, for this particular supervisor, he had been around maybe 16 years. So had his own, you know, background and everything. But I used to just hear from other people, oh, this guy, this guy won't change. He's ready. He's ready to have all the operation excellence dudes fail. So I definitely put him on my calendar to start weekly coaching sessions. It did not start like I want to correct you on anything, but we started building relationships. Okay. General. And nothing to do with work. Absolutely nothing. Because I knew my goal. My goal was ultimately, how do I get this guy in the program? So I had to win his trust first. I remember having uh, coffee a couple of times with him outside of work. And as soon as I thought that, okay, he's trusting me good enough, then I pretty much pivoted to where I see its value for, for customers. And it was very interesting what came out of these engagements. It, it took about a couple of months, maybe three months, to actually get him full speed, full threat with change agent. He starts looking at me, not as an enemy, but as a collaborator. Then he started, I started letting him bring his own ideas. Never mind, his own ideas. So what do you think? What do you think we could do to improve XYZ? And then he said, you know, Robert, I think maybe this is the way. And he sure did give me a lot. Ultimately, after we got to the level of him being able to propose things and we go back to the floor and we do them, he felt like, oh, this is my body. Yeah, indeed, I was his body. But he just did not understand that this was part of coaching that was going to transform his behavior. Okay. And ultimately his mindset. So his mindset, it came to me later on. His mindset was more of this place can never improve. It's been like this for a long time. There were some lean engagements that had been done by the company way back before the, the depression, sort of 2009, things failed. And so that kind of left a bad taste in his mouth. But you see, these are things that are under the layers that cannot come right off the bat. Okay. I cannot tell why the 2009, 2008 change failed, but I know there are similar symptoms that I see in a lot of companies. And I, from my experience, I, I think I have a, a good idea as to why they fail. So over time, this is a guy that after the coaching, I pivoted with him. And now we were talking about improving the overall equipment effectiveness. Okay. So he had a production line and I needed him to be in the game, but he wasn't going to be in the game until I got him in the box. Okay. After this very strong mix of relationship coaching and friendship and trust winning, he decided to run with this thing. And I tell you what, for that particular plant, we moved OEE for that plant from 52% mediocre, 88% over and above world class. And it took about six to eight months. And who was the main driver? This guy. And uh, some other thing that I think also worked in favor of this OE moving. So we did what you call basic daily hurdles, but in the middle of the day. It's kind of what you can refer to as a spot check of where everything is. All right. So, right. It's shortly before lunch, 15 minutes before lunch. So he says, okay, so where are we on uh, performance? Where are we on the, on the quality, the performance and the reliability? And what is the OE right now? Okay. So what are the issues we face this morning? All right, so moving forward, so how can we address this so that we can make course correction before the end of the day? It was more of a quick check 
And uh, a lot of people got engaged in that. So every time that there was an issue to do with the OEE, the overall effectiveness, you're looking at the availability, you're looking at the performance, and you look at the quality. So every single time that the machine was not available, there was visibility on that. And this guy from the coaching that I gave him, he was able to run with that. These are the resources. Do we need someone to come in? Or is our maintenance team up to the task to repair this SAP? Otherwise, we're not going to meet tax time. We're not going to meet value for the customer today. And so these daily hurdles right in the middle of the production made a big deal. But it also worked in his favor. So when we finally let him run loose with the OE improvement, he became so enthusiastic with it that I didn't have to do anything. It was like a smoother machine. So that's really what I'm talking about. You really have to know who is the most important, among the most important or most impactful stakeholder in this process. Remember, you're talking about processes. So for this process to continually run, there are people who have more influence than others. Who are these people? How can I get to them to a way that they feel respected and they can move the change forward? And collaborate and participate in the change and help drive it. It's, it's such an interesting thing. I talk to a lot of people about continuous improvement and change, and it's the same theme across the board about winning hearts and minds and getting people to cooperate is so much about, as you said, building relationships and trust. Now, coming to the subject of software, I obviously used to be in manufacturing, but what I do now is run Unifies, which is a software for collaboration in manufacturing companies. And I'm interested in what you see as the role of software in continuous improvement and process excellence in general. What are the tools that you currently use? And do you feel that software is overrated or underrated? I think software is not overrated. In fact, software is the main thing that's going to drive their going. So obviously, for someone with data science skills like myself, there are certain software that have played the biggest role for me. You're talking of Python. If you're not using Python, I don't know what you know, but you're missing the whole world. You want software to guide where your path way is going as an organization. Remember, in all CI initiatives, the thing is value. How can you create value? We had one of my colleagues in my current company did something remarkable and I loved it. Basically, cut down how long it was taking for us to do certain reports. And she pretty much automated, cut down like days of doing reports into minutes. That is where I see the industry going. The industry is going towards automation. And how do you do that kind of automation? I would say that it all depends on the leadership of a company. The ultimate goal is, can you be able to use software properly to predict and to preempt and to help you cast, cut costs on things like inventory and to be able to tell the direction where everything is going? Not everyone has to know coding, but we have some of these software that are so easy to use that it's pretty much, you don't use it I'm going to give you a quick example. So a lot of companies have used Excel for a long time. It's a de facto king of spreadsheets, right? Okay, it's great. Until you reach a certain point. There's something called big data. So once you reach the level of big data, then Excel becomes a deer in the the headlights. Okay, so I've reached here. So what do I do? What do I do? That kind of thing. So what I'm trying to say is we have a lot of software out there but I think for leadership that is progressive, they need to be open to trying different models because you don't know what you don't know. Yes. Yeah, it's where the, there's a lot of efficiency gains uh, in this. 
And coming to that, what I'm interested in is what are the main areas that you see will be the future of quality management and continuous improvement? What will it look like, do you think, 10 years from now? The day-to-day, I think, especially as far as you as a manager or a black belt within an organization, and also how this is going to affect those people and their day-to-day lives in, in the companies of the future. I think technology is uh, going to create a very important role, uh, not just in data, but generally the infrastructure, the governance of technology is going to really drive everything. Why? Because technology is driving, say, 10 years from now, not, not even 10, it's in five years from now. How are you able to decipher what the customer is saying about your products? We've got some things like natural language processing out there. How do you decipher what does this mean in lay term? language. I would imagine there will be a lot of visual management. And the reason why I'm saying this is you should be able to see how you're doing on your KPIs on electronic boards and things like that. Customers are seeing how value is flowing. And so is the owners of the company. That's really the direction where I think things will go ultimately because you want to create value in continuous improvement and operation excellence, but you do not know whether you're creating value if you do not know whether there are gaps. You don't know what you don't know. But if you have a way, I I would foresee a situation where the VSMs can be communicated, value stream maps, communicated electronically, company-wide, organization-wide, then people start understanding, okay, these are the Kaizen busts in this particular current stage. Can we translate them into Kaizen events? And that will bring, obviously, higher levels of automation. And I'm not saying that everything needs to be remedied or anything, but I'm thinking that at some point with high levels of automation, companies have to decipher the best way of creating value for the customer without necessarily laying off people. Yeah, I completely agree. Of course, there are a lot of people who are worried about what automation will do in terms of laying off people in the future. But I think that human beings bring so much to the table in terms of understanding context and uh, applying creativity to solving problems that it's unlikely that they're going to disappear from the workplace. But anyway, Robert, we've come to the end of the podcast and I really appreciate the time that you've spent with me and I've been fascinated to learn what you've been talking about as far as continuous improvement and managing changes has been concerned. It's just been amazing. Thank you so much for your time and insights. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate this time. I really enjoyed talking with you. It it makes me very excited to talk about what we do every day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Future of Processes podcast. I've really enjoyed talking to Robert Odiambo about changing mindsets around continuous improvement. And I especially liked his story about how he was able to win the trust of employees by deliberately building relationships outside of the work environment. For more discussions on the future of processes, please visit futureofprocesses.com. Alternatively, if you'd like to talk to me directly, feel free to email me at ben at futureofprocesses.com. Finally, please also share this with anyone in your organization that you think might benefit from it. See you next week.